0: You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper.
1: Global Trade This Week has landed, my friends. I am your co-host, Doug Draper. And on the other side, um, uh, 40 minutes from the ocean is my good friend, Pete Mento. Pete, how you doing?
0: I'm doing good, bud. You know, I I live in the Eastern Standard Time Zone, not Mountain West. Am I saying it right? Intermountain Inter- 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 West, which I am still convinced is a incredibly elaborate prank that you and Keenan play on me, but <laughs> Hey, listen, props to you for at least trying. Uh, I'm doing yeah. good, pal. I'm doing good. It's, it's starting to get cold here before you were on. I had my, um, I had my old man toque on that I wear because I'm bald and I have no hair on my head. Yeah. So I have my yeah. little scrunchy cap that I wear. Um, but I switched to my Red Sox hat because they're nowhere near the playoffs and I hate baseball right now because of it. Um, so so there, there, you have it, Doug. Nice. I'm I'm actually see you in Boston, apparently.
1: Yes. Well, thanks for that. Uh, that segue. I have to, you know, the beauty of this show, Pete, is that we can go off a little bit and talk about things that are super important to us, like family And I want to let our audience know that uh, my daughter is a rower at the University of Kansas is uh, been selected to go row one boat. KU is one boat. That's been invited. Eight girls. They're going to uh, head of the Charles this coming weekend, which if you're into rowing uh, is a pretty big deal. And you being from Boston have kind of talked about some of the craziness that goes on out there.
0: Yeah. Not just being from Boston, Doug, uh, being, being a Harvard alumni. So there's, there's, um, (laughs) there, there's a, a bizarre, Harvard is not fun. So, um, you know, you went to KU rock chalk, whatever, Hawk, I don't know. And my undergrad, you know, I went to boat school and I would say that both of us have a lot of cool stories about fun things that we did, right? Like we went to parties, we had fun, we made lifelong friends. We have stories that we can tell that people be envious. Like, Oh, that sounds like a really good time. That doesn't happen at Harvard. Harvard is a place where you go, you're broke, you're miserable. You study all the time. There is, uh, it is a no fun zone, and the people that go there are drastically boring. So, um, and I went there, so I'll, I'll own it, right? But a couple of times a year, really fun stuff happens. So, yeah. those times would be the Harvard Yale game. It's a lot of fun. Um, Hasty pudding, a lot of fun. Um, Bean pot, which is a, a local hockey tournament we have with all the Boston colleges, a lot of fun. But. Yeah. Peeking above them all, my friend, without question, head of the Charles. And the reason for that is everyone tends to find their, I don't know, they they find their their groovy shoes, man. Like they find their party hats. They find, they remove the stick from their posterior and decide to have a good time. So there's people day drinking. Um, The people that row crew are, they don't get to go and see a lot of it. You know, it's not like, it's not like one of those things where you go someplace and it's a really big deal, a lot from what I understand, like you don't usually go some places. So you have thousands of people that are coming to watch hundreds of races with hundreds of boats from all over the world. And it's, it's just this gathering of like-minded people who really get excited about it. And then the other 90% of the people are just folks who want an excuse to get hammered on the Charles river. Yeah. and I fall on the ladder. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's a whole lot of fun, Doug. I hope I hope you have a beautiful day. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Um, we will yeah, be- we will raise our cups to the Jayhawks.
1: Yeah. It'll be great. And- now, I think it's 1,800 entrants. So if you and I are just kind of, we like to row, we can sign up. But as far as the collegiate mm-hmm. aspect of it, you have to be invited. So that's what makes this one uh, super special. And to me personally, my daughter is selected as far as... Uh, the top eight that are going in the boat so um yeah let's add another zero to that uh, scholarship money kansas and then i think we'll be good so
0: um. <laughs> yeah i i got up. i don't sleep as you know and i got up early today and i said i'm just gonna go to the gym and i finished my walk-in and then i went to go get on the weight machines because i'm at the point now where i can't do free weights i'm afraid i'll hurt myself if i'm alone mm-hmm. so i gotta use the machines and they've got one of those rowing machines there doug and I, I thought, should I? I like, <laughs> Christ, Christ, no, no, nothing about this looks like fun to me. So, all the love in the world to your daughter, man, for having yeah. the uh, athleticism and the cardio to want to do something like that. God bless her.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, thank you. So yeah. let's um, let's flip from uh, my personal family life over to things that are related to global trade, specifically yeah. this week. So, Pete, kick. it <laughs> There you go. That is one hell of a transition.
0: So I'll let you roll with it. Is it though? Was it that? Yeah, is yeah. Was it a great transition? Okay, buddy. I thought so. uh, got some fun topics this week. the The first, my friend Ryan and I were um, we were pitching a company uh, that we're thinking about going to work for, and he was talking to me about export controls. And he said, "If you read this stuff about America's attempts to try to keep technology out of the hands of China for fabricating." semiconductors. And I'm like, how long have you known me, dude? Like we've worked together for 28 years or something. I don't have a life. Have I been reading about the, uh, reading about it? I st- I lay awake at night thinking about it. Yes. I've been reading about it. Right. So uh, for those of you who are not up on this, the United States has taken sort of these, these two direct parallel paths. Number one, we're going to start making our own fabrication plants to make advanced semiconductors, which everybody knows about. And the second one is we're going to do everything we can to keep the advanced technology out of the hands of Chinese manufacturers so that they can't catch up with, with where we're planning on being in, say, eight to 10 years when we're finally making these chips. So the new regulations that have to do with export controls are, are very, very stringent, Doug. And as normally happens, companies that are involved in manufacturing these products have sort of hit the brakes. They've said, until we understand the regulation, until all of us are very comfortable with what's going on, we're just not going to sell anything to China for a little while. Uh, And and that's, you know, so like my, my dad, when he taught me how to drive, he said, no one ever got into a fiery auto accident driving two miles an hour, Pete. So just, you know, it's okay to go a little slow. It's all right, right? I mean, I'm sure he's wrong. I'm sure somebody was going two miles an hour and got slammed into by something, but whatever. But Dow not a very smart man. The, uh, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is that these two parallel things happening at once from the outside look like a great way to deter Chinese growth in semiconductors. But I'm wondering if it's possible if that could backfire. And here's what I'm wondering. Tell me what you think, Doug. Yeah. What, what if no one buying Chinese semiconductors and no one supporting Chinese semiconductor production And us not buying it from them ends up flooding our competitors with cheaper semiconductors. Because if we're not buying them, supply and demand would say that they've got to lower the price. So that would allow our competition to have greater access to these things, I would think. And as such, it would allow them to produce at a lower cost. So are we giving our competition, our global competition, the opportunity to source these semiconductors at a lower cost because of this? And ultimately, are we going to create less of a market for the export of American semiconductors because other countries are just going to simply use the semiconductors available to them at a lower price? Don't know. Mm. Don't know if I'm right. I think time will tell. Um, but all these political ads I see about how we're going to take back the semiconductor industry, people need to remember it's going to take a decade. And in those 10 years, there's going to be a lot of this political jockeying and international relations jockeying going back and forth.
1: Yeah, yeah I don't know what to think about that one. <clears throat> it's interesting. I don't think we're in a position to really play our cards um, until we have the infrastructure. Yes, it's been there. We talked about. You know, the CHIPS Act kind of made fun of that acronym uh, a couple of shows ago. But so, it's almost like we're calling their bluff. And it makes me nervous yeah. when we call their bluff um, with, with China. So I, I don't know. People are going to consume what they consume. And the things that they consume and want have chips in them. And so um, calling the bluff and and having the, the parallel re- reciprocation, you know, cut that off. I, I, I don't know. I just think that no. America is not quite there yet. We start playing our hand because it's the midterm elections and yada, yada, yada. And it's going to blow up in our face or just go off and nobody's going to care about it in, uh, in two months when the election season is over. So I, I don't know. We, we always talk about not being political, but that's what I right.
0: think. Yeah, yeah. D- Doug, are, are, is Colorado uh, like a toss-up political state for anything? Do you have do
1: you have is like any toss-up? important
0: Congress? Like, are there any Congress, congressional or senatorial elections that are happening there that are a big deal?
1: Uh, yeah, there's a couple
0: of them. So, because well, I, I'm my life is hell right now. I'm I, like, I'm just trying to watch modern family reruns with Mrs. Trade Geek and down a bottle of wine. And every five minutes, it's some Senate candidate telling me why they're better than the other Senate candidate. Yeah. And I've had it. Like, I, I would be happy to just have a dog food commercial at this point. Like anything but these never ending political uh, ads are making me crazy, buddy.
1: Yeah. No, we got them out here. I kind of long for the days from watching the news where a car advertisement seems like everything on the, on the nightly news is selling a car. I want that back because it's spot on with the political ads.
0: It's politics, pharmaceuticals. um, And then here in New Hampshire right now, we have a lot of, for whatever reason, like home improvement stuff, like, you know get your bath redone uh, bath fitters and, and windows man people be selling some windows up here in new hampshire there's some the winter is pretty bad but uh yeah i, I i've had it with the with with the political stuff i'll be happy when this election's over with yeah. i'm voting for you doug i'm voting for you for senate
1: thank you that's interesting because i'm not running for anything but i appreciate your vote
0: yeah well <laughs> i think you're gonna do a great job pal so what do you got for us what's your first topic buddy uh
1: um, I think the uh, this is related to robots, not drones, so don't worry about that. This is related to robots, and the final mile delivery uh, robots are starting to get scrapped. Um, there was an article I read um, that there's a trend that this final mile delivery in the robots is just kind of not there anymore. So FedEx had this uh, uh, research and development group um, Roxo, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, R-O-X-O, how would you pronounce
0: that? Can I just t- time out you for a second, Doug? You know yeah. where all this happened, right? Yeah, in New Hampshire. Yeah, and like, do you know where it, physically where it happened? Like, do you know, do you have any idea how close where all of it was to my home? Uh, across the street? I can I can go out onto my balcony overlooking the Ameskine River right now, and I can see where this was all happening from like, <laughs> really? maybe a quarter of a mile. I can see wow. the buildings from, from, my, from the, the balcony of, of my penthouse here in Manchester.
1: Wow. Well, your, your input is going to be stellar. I am just wonder how many of them fell into the water or tipped over on their side like a turtle that couldn't get up. But that's the, uh, that's the second half. Of anyway,
0: the go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes.
1: Well, since you know, was it R- Roxo? What, what's the correct pronunciation?
0: I don't know. I just know that DECA was the company who was involved yeah. out of Manchester. Yeah. And they're, they're some creepy, like skunk worksy sort of government contractor that we yeah. all love. We're so happy they're here. Yeah. Like they're like the coolest company ever. Um, yeah. but, but, but go ahead and tell, tell your side of the story, and I'll tell you my weird side of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, anyway, the press release uh, that FedEx came out with was although robotics and automation are key pillars of our innovation strategy, Uh, Roxo, if that's the correct pronunciation, did not meet the necessary near-term value requirements. Um, And the answer to that is, yeah, uh, no shit, because FedEx is looking to focus on core competency, which is to make money and deliver packages. So it doesn't uh, surprise me that they're kind of ditching some of this uh, peripheral things to really focus on their their business. the forward lean on this one is uh, well—is that Amazon killed their Scout program? S-C-O-U-T. Uh, that was automated delivery, um, and delivery robots—they're just years or decades away. I mean, you're—I had no clue that it was right across your your street, so to speak. So it'll be good, but I don't know, man. It just—you know—it's a specifically to the FedEx one, eight-mile radius, up to 100 pounds. Now that's better than a drone. But I mean, that barely gets out of the warehouse area, right? Eight miles, you gotta get the hell out of there to find the houses that it's gonna deliver to. So, you know, um, I think robots are best for behind the scenes. Get them behind the curtain and let them work the warehouses and the automation to move things through, but not to make that delivery to. So, move the products through the warehouse. I just thought of this be- move them through, not to. So, scrap the two, the delivery. And just move the product through the warehouse. So, automation, I love it. Robots, bring it on, keep them in the warehouse. Don't worry about trying to drive them down the street and deliver a package to your house.
0: Well, unfortunately, my friend, you're a little bit off um, wh- how these were supposed to work. The, mm-hmm. This is going to be fun for me to talk just a little bit about. So, the guy yeah. that, there's this guy that started a company named Dean Kamen here in New Hampshire. And he's, he's kind of our Granite State Elon Musk. No other way to describe him. And he's, he's a, he's a much, um, much celebrated son of the Granite State. We're all kind of in awe of the guy. So when he was a teenager, he invented uh, the auto-injector. So for, I think the story goes that he saw his grandmother in the hospital and she was in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and they kept having to give her injections. So he's the one that did the button pushing thing where you push the button and it gives you a little bit more, a little bit more of your drugs. He invented that when he was like, I want to say like 12 or 13, and got a Mm -hmm. patent on it. And then he he invented uh, a number of wheelchairs that allow people that are um, in various degrees of not having any use of their limbs to be able to go upstairs in wheelchairs, downstairs in wheelchairs. Like some of these wheelchairs go 30, 40 miles an hour. Um, they're able to lift you up so that you're in a standing position. It's incredible. So he also invented the Segway. And those were built here in Manchester. Um, all those Razor scooters and everything, the, the underlying component of the patent to them belongs to him. So the idea of a battery-powered wheeled conveyance, every time someone builds one of those, he's getting more money. So the guy, the guy's like outrageously wealthy. And he has... He has this like I said it's like a skunk works here in Manchester in one of the old giant mills. No one's really sure what's going on in there. Like I don't know if they're practicing the next video of the moon landing or like if 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 they're if they're in there, you know, cloning aliens or what, but things come out of there every once in a while. So we'd be driving around Manchester and you'd see this white R2D2 looking thing going up and down the streets. I'm like, what's old Dean working on now? Like, is this some sort of robotic assassin? When, and a, what you eventually learn is it was this FedEx program where they were going to solve what they saw was a huge problem. So the FedEx truck drives up to one house. One FedEx driver gets out, sometimes two during the holidays or UPS, what have you. What if, what if the FedEx truck drove someplace and this army of drones gets out? They all, like they're stacked on top of each other and they roll out and they're able to go and deliver these packages because they can go upstairs, they can come downstairs, they can go around. And then when they're done, they come back to the mothership and then that mothership goes, right? The idea was, could you do that? But uh, from what I understand from reading all the articles, it wasn't cost effective. There, was, um, there were too many problems with consistency of getting the package into the home. Like every home is different where the package goes in every home is different. It was hard to get consistency. And then through years and years of putting money into the program, they just weren't seeing the outcome that they want. I don't think it's dead though. I I just think it's not the right time. And I know you're feeling about autonomous things, Doug, you've got a real problem. I don't know. I don't know if you got into a fist fight with some robot somewhere or drone or something, and you just never really recovered, but you got some deep, deep hate for robotics, man. And I, you know,
1: <laughs> It's not hate. It's called reality. And um, yeah, fine. You can play around with it, but the, the likelihood. Anyway, I, I want to keep the show moving forward. And, and
0: no, not... I like it when you get angry about it.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to get angry. It's just, come on. Seriously? Really? Let's just move on and make some deliveries. Get out of your truck. Chuck the box and let's move on. Right. Um, okay
0: all right man anyway, you know
1: but speaking whether of whether you like on, it or
0: not the future the future is coming for you doug the future is coming yeah. for you
1: yeah it is um Let's, uh, half halftime. What am I trying to say here? So, halftime. And and brought to you
0: by it. our friends at Cap Logistics. As always, we're very excited to uh, bring you this show. We couldn't do it without our friends at Cap Logistics. We couldn't produce it. We couldn't bring it to you. We couldn't bring you this content week after week. We want to thank them. We hope that if you have the opportunity, you'll check them out at caplogistics.com. And um, this is the part of the show where Doug and I talk about whatever we want to talk about.
1: Mm-hmm. And um,
0: yeah. I don't know, Doug, who's going first this week?
1: I'll go first because I think your your topic is. Uh, okay. I'm I'm fully expecting some visuals of stuff you're going to pull out from your. I don't know. Back of your I don't chair know. We'll see. Now. But we'll see. Anyway, it, so this goes along with the theme of the U.S. news and world reports. This is a, a, a collegiate thing. I got two kids in college. As you, you have one there and one coming up, um, so it struck me as odd that I that I read. It struck me as odd. It caught my attention that. Um, the school with the greatest endowment has traditionally been Harvard, your alma mater, and the latest number is like $53 billion in their endowment, uh, making sure things move in the right direction. Um, but there is a school um, out there in uh, in the great state of Texas that has surpassed for this year, and it is, in fact, the University of Texas. Wow. How, the heck, how the heck do they have more of an endowment than an Ivy League institution like Harvard. And it all has to do with oil um, and land. So um, basically what I had done some research on, 2.1 million acres that the university owns, there's 250 different um, companies that are pulling oil out of their 2.1 million. So when oil is expensive and, uh, and as it is right now, uh, they're just basically printing money. So as of, I don't know if it's right this very second, but the um, um, the university out there that has the largest endowment, they did it old school Texas style with uh, getting an oil business and the uh, University of Texas has surpassed Harvard because of that unique uh, aspect of how they manage their endowment. So anyway, it's the oil business wow. that's pushed them over the top.
0: Uh, when I was a boy, Doug, the University of Texas was not a good school. I'm, I'm going to say it out loud, right? It was, it was just not a good school. And my family, the men all went to AM, which was an engineering school. And they used to have jokes about guys that went to AM, like how stupid they were,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? Um, but Texas was not, was not a good school. I'll, I said it out loud. It just wasn't, like you didn't hope and pray your kids went to UT. That all changed when they started a a rule about how you had to have a particularly high GPA to get in, and um, that came along with with a heck of a large amount of money to go to school there. So the higher the higher echelons of GPA, not only were they going to get in, but they were going to get a real significant amount of that tuition and paid for as well. And it suddenly became real competitive to go to UT. So it was pretty hard to get in. That happened after I was a young man. Uh, But now it's, it's tough to go to UT and they've got a lot of great graduate programs. It's a great school. And because of that, you've got a lot of very wealthy people that have graduated from UT that live in Austin, that have worked in the tech sector, worked in energy that have left them a lot of money. As well as a lot of people who died, and left what at the time felt like completely worthless land because you couldn't drill for oil on it. But guess what? You can frack it, and yeah. there's plenty of oil underneath it now. And like you said, they're making that money. So um, yeah. that's amazing, man. I mean, yeah. utterly amazing the kind of money they're making out of that. Yeah. So
1: that, that, uh, your comment about incredible. A&M. So at, at my I lived in Lubbock, Texas. My dad was a professor. At that's Texas where I was born. Yeah.
0: My mom, my and, mom went to Texas tech. I was born in Lubbock.
1: Okay. And, um, uh, he would come home with, it would say 101 Aggie jokes and it was a book that basically just, you know, ripped on Aggies. And I think you could yep. not publish that book today. No, and s- still have a job or the publishing company no. would be pretty much out of business. I probably have one somewhere, but anyway, yeah. when you said a and m A&M, I'm thinking 101 Aggie jokes and yeah. let's just say, thank God that was printed in the, uh, in the late seventies and early eighties. Cause that, that book yeah. wouldn't fly in
0: 2022. Oh yeah. My mom was a proud red Raider, man. And, um, you know, she went to high school in Lubbock the whole bit. So when I was oh. born there, uh, oh. so I, I would, I would rather, I would rather take a beating from the university of Texas football team armed with baseball bats than ever have to go back to Lubbock, Texas. There's a a fabulous song by Mac Davis called happiness is Lubbock, Texas in my Rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And I, detest West Texas and I never want to go back. So anyway, my halftime. Yeah, fire um, away My halftime. I I broke my my pact with Apple this last go around. I got one of them fancy Samsung flipping phones. And I'm having fun with it. But like everybody else, you know, when you you leave one platform, you have to get used to doing everything differently. And one of the things I've had to get used to is these stupid chargers. I have a box, Doug, of all of the electronics that I have bought going back what feels like eons. Now, Amy Amy doesn't really collect things like I do, right? She has lots of shoes. She has clothes, clothes she's never worn, right? But that's not nearly as desperate and sad as the fact that I still have the charger for my first Palm Pilot, but I don't have the Palm Pilot. I have chargers for Nokia phones from like 1998 and I don't know why I have more electronic crap laying around my house phones and um and chargers and such in a in plastic bags why do I still keep them Doug why do I have them around what is the whole point of this and what's really funny is the box that they're in—it's like an archaeological dig. You know, over time, the farther down you go, the earlier in the years it goes. The stuff on top is still like, you know, pre-lightning Apple chargers. And then you go a little farther, and probably my Motorola Razor stuff, Palm Pilot things, a couple old busted Palm Pilots. Go down a little further. I got some iPods in there. I've got my iRiver MP3 players. Go a little bit farther down. Like it is the saddest collection of crap that I have ever seen. And I don't know what to do with all of it. And I'm sure Kenan's back there munching on Gort, drinking his, his kombucha saying, well, you should probably go and hand this off to somebody so they can recycle it. Shut up, Kenan. I'm not doing it because I'm convinced that at some point this stuff will have some kind of collector's value, which I'm sure is wrong. But, uh, you know, I just can't seem to part with this crap, Doug. Do you find yourself in a similar situation or are you better man than I am?
1: Well, no, it's in bags. And it's funny. You said bags because it's the small bag to say, this is the individual charger with the phone. You got three, then you put it in a big bag or box. And I bet eighty percent of our listeners, maybe not the younger generation, but if they're our age or whatever, they have the same thing. It's a box full of shit that you're never going to get rid of. But you think maybe, you think maybe there'll be a purpose for it. So you might as well just keep it because it's really small. You just put it under your bed or in that drawer that you never open. And everything's good, and it's out of sight,
0: out of mind. So I love it. I, I have, I have remote controls for TVs that I haven't owned for a dozen years. Mm. What's wrong with me, Doug? What's wrong with me? That one's. What is wrong with me? Yeah, I was going to open my, I was going to open my, 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 my desk here and pull out stuff, but some of this. Why do I have Apple headphones that still have this thing on the end? (laughs) When, When was the last time I had an Apple phone? that you still plugged in the headphones for. I think it's been a very long time. I have a cento watch, right? An old cento watch. And here's the charger for it. I haven't worn yeah. this watch in 10 years, man. Um, you know, well, I, well, I don't... It's right
1: there at your desk, like literally an arm's length away.
0: Yeah. Oh, this whole desk is full of crap that I don't, I, I should probably just let somebody come in here while I'm at work one day and just get rid of everything. Except for mm-hmm. my passport and my guns, you know, just leave everything the way it is. All right, All Doug. Right. So that leads us off to the second half. Uh, thank you again for everyone at Cap Logistics giving us an opportunity to chat about things that we see that are going on and what we think is going to happen. And um, I guess with that, I, I have the first one. Is that right, Doug? I'm the uh, second one here. Yeah, that's
1: cool. Yep. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. I did the intro, so yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah.
0: So we're we're facing down another COVID lockdown right now in China. And this one is for about a million people. So to me, I, I look at everything through the the scope of my little sad world. So I live in New Hampshire and New Hampshire has about 1.2 million people in the whole state. And the idea that, that there would be a lockdown of all of us where we're not allowed to leave our house. We have to have food delivered. One person can leave every three days and go and buy food. Mm. Like, you- that i think about you know that level of of lockdown i'm like we would be shooting people like you you would have to in this state you would have to there there would be a revolution like that would not happen here uh in china they're going through it again because of the zero covid policy and this time it's happening in a city where uh, a significant number of iPhones are made so Why does that get my attention? It gets my attention because it goes back to these supply chain issues. Around the same time last year, Doug, if you remember, we were having major port cities shut down because of zero COVID. Mm A few months later, around Christmas time, same thing: major port cities, uh, Shanghai at that point, being shut down, and its effect on supply chains. Now we're seeing its effect on major consumer production. Now a lot of iPhones are going to be made in India, which is wonderful, but. Apple is a company that really drives markets, drives GDP growth, and it drives, dare I say, fashion. And not being able to have that innovation and that fashion out in the marketplace, it will have a long-term effect, not just on GDP, but on the growth of that industry and what happens next. And it's happening in a country that everything is being made in. I keep saying it, Doug, you can't have all your eggs in one basket. You need to have a resilient supply chain. Just-in-time cannot be overcome without some just-in-case. And if people don't start realizing that this isn't going away, that this zero-COVID attitude in China is here to stay, um, we're going to all be dealing with these long-term supply chain issues for decades to come.
1: Mm -hmm. You've
0: got to find ways to make your supply chain more resilient, and that's going to mean finding alternatives to where you produce your goods.
1: Yeah. Well, heck, we've been talking about that. What you just said was the fundamental reason that you and I got together in 2020 um, to talk yeah. about, you better have a plan B right before COVID. So it's funny that two and a half years later, it's still relevant and we're still talking about it. The thing that, that uh, just listening now with uh, a communist party, that's all about manipulation and control and manipulating the people to maintain control So here's my um, uh, take on this, maybe my conspiracy theory, but uh, the leadership has reestablished itself over there. Let's manipulate our people and throw them in lockdown with our no COVID zero policy in order to control, slow down and impact the supply chain over to the consumer base that needs to eat and consume and be fashion mongers. So I was just thinking about that when you were talking, Pete. Yeah, that's going to impact things. Is it by design in a very unusual way? Maybe a little um, doom and gloom on my part, but I think there is some realization that manipulate the people to maintain control. That's, I don't know if it's the fundamental communistic way, but it sure sounds like it.
0: Well, it also doesn't hurt that when you have periods of of scary political change um, or reasserting things politically, if you're able to control people's movements and the such. yeah doesn't hurt but you know again we always try to avoid politics geo or otherwise but this is one where you know the the impacts of the supply chain it's happening again you know it's happening again man i i drove across the northern border into canada on friday no one asked me for a COVID card it was great and i felt i felt like it was 1988 man like hey i'm i'm going to quebec and no one's asking me for it well by passport okay so do that but you know it was it was great um but here we are we're still in a reality where America's largest you know exporter to our to our economy for for production goods is still dealing with shutting down whole cities over a virus that the rest of the world appears to be moving on from and I think that's something we should be paying a lot of attention to Doug.
1: yeah yeah
0: all right, but take us home
1: well, yeah so um, supply chain and energy those have been common themes in the last couple of weeks. For the last couple of months to be honest with you. So this one is about liquefied natural gas and natural gas state, uh natural gas in general. So the spot market for natural gas has just been on a roller coaster ride. Um, and there's the I'm gonna call it the unit of measure, right? But it's um X dollars, we talks about X dollars per barrel as far as the cost of oil. Uh in natural gas, it is per million British thermal units right it's like an Mm mbthu something or other but let's just call it the unit of measure Uh, in august it was 84 dollars per million british thermal unit Um, and just today it was down to 40 two weeks ago it was about 57 it's going up and down and they're saying that uh, part of it is that the warmer weather in europe um, is keeping it a little bit lower but you know what Warmer weather isn't going to last forever in the winter, um, and then it's going to spike back up. So, my whole point with this thing is that the uncertainty favors the supplier. So, two months ago was at 84. Today it's at 40 because Europe is a little warmer than normal and they're not consuming as much. You got a war in Ukraine, you got the pipelines coming in that are being uh, affected and impacted. And so Um, When things get uh, scarce and when natural gas is needed, you're gonna see the spot market just explode. The piece that really this is honed in on is that whenever the, the cost of the commodity is expensive, you can charge whatever you want related to the transportation of those goods. And I'm afraid what's gonna happen, Pete, is because it's a spot market, there's uncertainty. If I own a vessel and there's not that many of them out there that can actually transport liquefied natural gas, I'm wondering what's going to happen. I'm just going to sit idle because I'm going to wait until see who needs it the most and who's going to pay the most. So that's kind of taken um, uh, inventory out of the market. And while I just wait and see who can pay me the most, I'm going to turn it left or right. So I think um, natural gas prices, my whole point of this, Pete, they're going to continue to be volatile um, because it is a spot market. And the ones that control the transportation are the ones that are going to get rich on it. And they're going to withhold the delivery of these items to try to find, or delivery of this product, to try to find the highest bidder and who's going to pay the most money, and it's going to get uh, pretty wonky here as the uh, the winner the winner uh, continues to evolve. So, uh, look out! It's not going to get any cheaper. It's going to get volatile, scarce, and expensive.
0: You're right, Doug. Uh, when we when we look at these sorts of markets, we're always looking, we're speculating. So we're not looking at how things are today. We're looking at where they're going to be in 30, 60, 90, 120 days. And right now we're on the cusp of the cold winter months. So moving this stuff in what are just gigantic hydrogen bombs, that's that's what an LNG tanker is. It's the most dangerous floating thing on the water. Uh, it's It's a very expensive means of conveyance that... You're going to take your time if you think there's going to be a market that's open to you. You can you can let it sit idle and you can wait. Now, what you're not going to do is use it as a floating warehouse, but you, you will let it sit idle and then buy it and sell it while it's underway on the water. And someone's going to make a crap ton of money on it. Now, a lot of these vessels are owned by the people that are selling it, but a lot aren't. And a lot of the infrastructure that is necessary to move it from the port to where it's actually going to be distributed it's scarce. It's not a lot of it, man. We talked about this in the U.S. There was one major port, and they had a fire, and it slowed down exports of natural gas over the world into Europe. You've got Germany, basically parts of Poland. There's not a lot of of major natural gas LNG um, uh, ports where we can move this stuff through. The entire infrastructure is um, is not ready for the demand. These ships are going to be in a similar situation to what you had for container ships. Once that price begins to go up and the people that own those vessels are going to make a lot of money. You're hundred percent right, Doug. You're absolutely 100% spot on. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got this week,
1: my man.
0: Yeah. All right. So, um, thank you, Doug, as always for your gripping insights into global trade this week. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Sorry. I couldn't be here again. Last week, right? It was last week. I couldn't be on. Yeah. I think. Uh, Yeah. I think it was last week. Yeah. And everybody had to suffer through another Keenan input on it. It's like, I swear, it's like the NFL right now with all these third and second string quarterbacks being on every Sunday and Doug's got to play twice as hard. You know, you're talking about a hall of famer out there on the field. He's just got to compensate for the lack of talent behind, behind center. But Doug, you always do it, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, thank you for stepping in Keenan. You know, we always do appreciate it. It always frustrates me that so many people say kind things about your input, whatever. (laughs) Uh, But we do appreciate that and all the hard work that you do. And we appreciate all of our friends at Cap Logistics for making this happen. Doug, look forward to seeing you. Go KU. And um, again, we'll see you all again next week in another great edition of Open Trade This Week. Thanks, everybody.